this whole thing with love the sinner but hate the sin doesn't make any sense to them, right? It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's totally unconvincing to our friends. And I think it's because we, as a culture, have sort of bought into this existentialist philosophy that would have us believe that we are defined by what we do or we're defined by what we believe. Hey, welcome to the Indo Podcast. I'm Isaac, your host. We have a great episode in store for you today. We actually get to hear the second part in our three-week series on the topic of sexual identity. It's obviously a topic that's quite relevant, it's touchy, difficult at times, but it's just so important to think of biblically. And just as a reminder, if you're new to the podcast or just need that fresh reminder like we all do, In Doubt is a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada with Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld, who we actually heard last week. Anyways, our organization believes in the infallibility and inerrancy of the Bible. Uh, Simply put, we believe the Bible to be uh, true in all things, and we use the Bible as the foundation uh, for all the things that we discuss and teach and, and so on. Uh, We just believe the Bible to be the true word of God. And that's the reason we base our entire lives and obviously ministry on it as well. Now, one of the cool things about doing a podcast like this one is that we have the privilege of talking with people all over the world about issues and topics of life and faith. And we do it unashamedly, yet obviously graciously and respectfully. We actually got a message through our Facebook page last week from a listener And uh, they wrote this. They said, what a blessing it is to have you in my life. All of your podcasts have uh, touched me each in a different way, always bringing me closer to our Lord and to our big family in Christ. And then they went on to talk about a personal issue they're going through and asked if we'd uh, talk about it. Uh, Not obviously their personal issue, but around the subject pertaining to uh, the issue. Uh, First of all, we're pumped to see messages like that because we know this listener is not the only one who uh, needs to hear conversations like these with a biblical perspective. We all do uh, constantly. Well, anyways, like I said, this week marks the middle of our three-week series on sexual identity. Today, we hear Steve Kim from Apologetics Canada give his 15-minute presentation on some of the cultural phrases used when it comes to sexuality and identity. My name is Steve. I work with Apologetics Canada. And for those of you who don't know what apologetics means, it has nothing to do with apologizing. It just simply means that uh, we uh, make a case for why we believe what we believe. That's what apologetics means. And, and I work in that sort of an area. So let's get started. I was born and raised in South Korea, um, barely 30 years after the Korean War. Uh, while I grew up in this relative prosperity, my parents and my grandparents, they didn't have that same privilege. The post-war Korea was the antonym of prosperity. My parents faced constant hunger, so much so that they would chew on tree bark in a futile attempt to satisfy their hunger. And my grandparents, they made soap um, and many other such daily necessities right from scratch. I mean, They're the MacGyver generation, and maybe MacGyver really dates me. I don't know. But that's the kind of an environment that they they grew up in. So why do I tell you this? Because ideas matter. The country of my birth isn't divided for no ideological reasons whatsoever. Conflicting ideas came together, and then it erupted, and it cost millions of people their lives over a relatively small piece of land. Ideas... I mean, we live in a culture that's driven by economic productivity, and so maybe we we don't appreciate the role of ideas uh, in our daily life. 
Because after all, we can't see or touch ideas um, like we can touch money or, or products that we consume. And yet, ideas are real. Ideas are powerful. They, they undergird uh, most, if not all, of our deliberate actions. And, and I think uh, as we think about this is issue of sexual identity, I, I mean, we are seeing a radical change in our culture right now, right, happening right before our, our eyes, right? And, and obviously, this, clearly, this has underlying ideas too, and I want to explore some of that with you. I'm actually going to change the course of my talk a little bit. I was going to talk about three talking points offered to us by our friends in the LGBT community. I will do that, but I'm going to add two points to get, get us started, and then I'm going to address those three talking points really quickly at the end. The first one is this. Uh, our, our culture largely seems unable to distinguish the person from what the person does or believes. And so, of course, this whole thing with love the sinner but hate the sin doesn't make any sense to them, right? It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's totally unconvincing to our friends. And I think it's because we, as a culture, have sort of bought into this existentialist philosophy that would have us believe that we are defined by what we do or we're defined by what we believe. And now, I, I reject that. Um, I think you are who you are. I think at least Christianity teaches us that you are who you are, and out of that, you do what you do. So, for example, in, in 1 John, I believe it is, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but in 1 John, uh, the Apostle John uh, tells people, warns people against false teachers, and says some from among us have gone out, uh, these false teachers, but they weren't really one of us to begin with, because if they were one of us, they wouldn't have done that. Right, so we are, we are who we are, and out of that, we do what we do. So uh, I, I would first like to make the distinction between the person and what the person believes or what the person does. Now, that leads directly to my second point, tolerance. What does tolerance mean? Now, the word tolerance has taken on a whole new meaning in our culture. It's not that you just let the person believe or do whatever he or she wants to do or believe. Now, it seems that the culture is more and more pressing in on Christians to accept and even celebrate what's happening. Now, if you're not convinced by that, just look at the bakers down in Oregon or the, the photographer who lost her business because she wouldn't take the photos of this gay wedding or same-sex wedding, I should say. But here's the thing. What does tolerance mean? Tolerance means I disagree with what you believe or, or disagree with what you do but I will still respect you as a person. Remember, I, I am making the distinction between who the person is and what the person does. I still respect you as a person. I may disagree with you on some things, but I still, I will be respectful to you. After all, what does tolerance mean if it doesn't presuppose disagreement, right? If you accept it and if you celebrate it, you're not tolerating it, you're accepting it, is that correct? And so th those are the two points that I'd like to kind of put in place before I start going through the three talking points. Now let's get, let's get to it. I have nine minutes, time is quickly getting away from me. Let, let me see if I can do this all in nine minutes. Now first talking point that's offered to us by our friends in the LGBT community 
is this. You've all, all heard this before. Love is love. Right? You've, all, you've all heard that before, right? I, I hear this all the time. Love is love. Now, the idea is that two consenting adults uh, having this loving relationship, right? And they're, they're committed to this. So, so why are we, uh, you know, what, what's the big deal with that? You know, this, this kind of, so this loving relationship between two men or two women, they would tell us, is basically the same in kind as the loving relationship between me and my wife. Now, the, my question is this, what do you mean by love? Because if this idea of love includes family, marriage, and things like that, now all of a sudden things start looking a little different. But I think, given the context, I think we can safely assume that what's meant by this love is romantic love, right? Romantic feelings. So then, my question is this, what if I started developing romantic feelings for my sister, okay? How about um, this lady, Monica Mares, from Clovis, New Mexico? This 36-year-old mother who gave birth to a son when she was 16, gave him up for adoption. After 18 or 19 years, they connected on Facebook. Now her son is 19 years of age, Kayla Peterson. And as they report, one thing led to another, and their relationship started getting physical. Now they're facing jail time for up to 18 months. And they say they, they will still stay together. They will go through jail time if, if that must happen. They love each other. If love is love, if, if all romantic feelings are equal, what about this? Okay. Now, the point, isn't, the point that I'm trying to make isn't to compare homosexuality or homosexual behavior, I should say, with incestuous behavior. That's not my point. My point simply is you can't justify homosexual behavior simply on the basis that it is a romantic feeling because we know of other instances of romantic feelings that we would consider unjustified and harmful. So that's one, love is love. Uh, this, so at, at best, love is love is a bit unclear. At worst, I, I would say it's false. So that's the first one. Second one, uh, probably the strongest argument offered to us by our friends in the LGBT community is, I was born this way. I was born this way. So it's pretty self-explanatory. I'm not going to go over that with you again. But let me just point out, the assumption there, it's always helpful to look at the assumption underlying a statement because it's, it's, it's much more effective to, in having a fruitful dialogue that way. So the assumption underlying this idea, I was born this way, is if it's natural, it should be permissible or it's even good. Now, my response to that is this. I have genetic predisposition to alcoholism. Alcoholism runs in my family on the men's side. Because I have this genetic predisposition, does that permit me to drink and as alcohol leads me, abuse my family? Clearly not. So, again, the point isn't to compare gender dysphoria or homosexual behavior with alcoholism or sometimes uh, the, the example of pedophilia is used, right? Um, that, that's not my, not my point. I'm not trying to compare the two. I'm simply making a logical point that if natural means permissible or even good, what other activities could be justified on the basis that it is natural? Simply natural doesn't mean doesn't always mean that it is permissible or even good. And the third one, 
Um, th this applies more to our transgender friends. And you may have heard this before. I feel like a man trapped in a woman's body. Or I feel like a woman trapped in a man's body. Now let's think about this for, for a second. What, what our friends are telling us is that my mind tells me one thing, but my body is another way. Okay? Now on what worldview does that even make sense? Certainly not on naturalism. Naturalism being the idea that all this world is is just particles in motion. Matter and energy, that's all we have. It wouldn't make any sense, right? Because on that worldview, mind activity is simply brain activity. In other words, your mind and your body are the same kind of a thing. So this, this is my question. In the LGBT community, in the transgender community, it is almost anathema to suggest that you should make the mind conform to your body. It's always the other way around, isn't it? You should make the body conform to your mind. So my question is, why that preference? On what worldview does this even make sense? Now, uh, some philosophers have even made the argument for the existence of God uh, uh, based on consciousness. And so I could actually make the case that if you're saying that there, this, there is this mind and is a different kind of a thing, a, a more sort of, it's the kind of thing that takes precedent over your body, then I could actually argue that God exists. And then the question becomes, well, who is this God? And does he have any claim on our lives? And the argument could go that way. I'm not going to do that right now because I only have less than three minutes. Um, further, uh, there's this curious double standard if you've noticed, right? On the one hand, we're told that gender is a purely social construct that can be taken apart and reconstructed at will. On the other hand, when a transgender person decides on a gender, it's not just a purely social construct anymore. It is sacred almost. It's inviolable, isn't it? So which is it? Is it a purely social construct that you can reconstruct however you will? Or is this something that's sacred, there's something that's inviolable. After all, if, if this is just purely social construct, why not reconstruct your gender as a transgender person? Um, is it fixed or is it fluid? Now, uh, a second point to that, can I become whatever I identify myself to be? That's what I want to ask. There is, a, seriously, you can actually Google this, uh, there is a lady in Norway who identifies herself as a cat. She will hiss at dogs. She says she, says she hates water. Okay, so what do you do with that? Seriously, you can actually search for it on Google. Norway woman thinks she's a cat, okay? And you'll find that. I, I believe it's, it was from Daily Mail. Now, what about this gentleman? A gentleman by the name of Richard Hernandez. He's in his mid-50s, uh, born a male, uh, identified himself as a woman. But he or she went even farther than that. Now, I'll just call him she for the sake of being respectful. She now identifies herself as a dragon. Now, she covered her body with tattoos, uh, cut off her ears and her nose, put studs in the brows, horns, and she, she cut her tongue so it's, it's forked. Okay, it goes beyond just another species. Now this goes into 
the mythical realm, right? Can we be just whatever we identify ourselves to be? That is the question. Now, um, I, again, I just want to, as I have 20 seconds, I just want to affirm again, if there's anybody here who belongs in the LGBTQ community, if you identify yourself as gay, lesbian, or transgender, again, my commitment to you is that even though we may disagree on this, I will respect you as a person, and I, when we dialogue, if we dialogue, I will do that cordially, because you are made in the image of God, and you're valuable. Thank you. Steve is a friend. He's a partner in ministry. He's actually been on the show uh, talking with me a few times now. He did a two-part series on worldviews and how to engage people with different worldviews and talks about uh, things like, um, you know, agnosticism and, and atheism and things like that. It's a great series. If you want to hear that series, head to our episode archive on indo.ca and scroll down and find episodes 17 and 18. And he also did an episode that explains the understanding and sort of history and belief system of Buddhism and Confucianism in our series called The Look at the Gods. It's super interesting. He's a really smart guy. If you want to hear that, it's episode number 24. Anyways, that wraps up the Indo podcast today. If you want to connect with us further, please head to our website, indo.ca. Visit us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, things like that. Um, if you have something to tell us or maybe uh, a topic that you'd like to hear about or a story, please email us at info at indo.ca or like the listener did earlier uh, uh, last week, just message us on Facebook. Well, I'm Isaac and next week we hear Pastor Dave Johnson give his 15 minute presentation on how to respond to the LGBT community without compromising on the truth. podcast is a part of Back to the Bible Canada's young adult ministry, In Doubt. All of Back to the Bible Canada's ministry programs and resources are created for the purpose of leading people forward in their walk with Jesus every day. For more information on all things Back to the Bible Canada, visit backtothebible.ca.